I think that what the administration would likely prefer is that this not escalate into a broader regional war. Good. That ultimately is not in anyone's interest here. No, it's not. Good to know. Hope the president keeps that in mind. Well, I don't know why I came here tonight. That's why. I got the feeling that something ain't right. No, it ain't. I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs. Clowns to the left of me. Jokers to the right. Here I am. Stuck in the middle with you. I am. From Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles, this is the broadcast as heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in LA, also in California in Red Bluff and Ready on KFOI and Round Mountains KKRN. Up in Oregon on the Central Coast on KYAQ, Cottage Grove's KSO, Eugene's KEPW, Lanchester, Pennsylvania's W News, Maui, Hawaii's KAKU, in Columbus, Ohio on WGRN, Palinville, New York's WLPP, Rochester, New York's WRFZ, down in New Orleans on WHIV, out in Gallup, New Mexico on KNIZ, Concord, New Hampshire's WNHN, Fayetteville, Arkansas's KPSQ, in Seattle on KODX, Janesville, Wisconsin's WADR, Minneapolis, St. Paul's AM 950, KTNF. We also stream coast-to-coast and around the globe every day on the internets on the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Radio for Humans, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, No Lies Radio, Verdant Square Radio, Detour Talk, and most of your favorite podcast sites, Blanketing Planet Earth. I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, and all-around swell fellow, says me from bradblog.com. Thank you very much for joining us today for another edition of the Bradcast. Uh, following yesterday's show focused on the uh, horrific atrocities over the weekend by Hamas in Israel and by Israel in Gaza in retaliation to the weekend's appalling attack, as well as on all of the war crimes and atrocities that have been carried out really by both sides going back decades that ended up bringing us to this point. One of my uh, regular right-wing hate listeners, Desi Doyen, <laughs> yes, I, I have them, one of my uh, regular right-wing hate listeners rang in on Twitter after the show to say, quote, it's a complicated world, Brad. Great show today. Oh, nice. He's one of my hate listeners. So <laughs> well, that's okay. It's either uh, <laughs> means I did a good job or... Or I did a bad job. I'm not really sure, but I guess that's the complicated world that we now live in. Indeed. I am going to take it as a compliment. <laughs> All right. Well, another one of our regular listeners who actually uh, listens because he likes the show <laughs> rather than hates it uh, rang in on Mastodon with kinder words about yesterday's program uh, than I feel comfortable sharing here, to be frank. But I do take... That all to mean that we were on the right track in our coverage of the continuing nightmares playing out in the Middle East this week as we tried to inform rather than inflame. We will try to do that again, at least in part today. If you missed uh, yesterday's show with some great callers, by the way, really great callers from all sides of the equation, 
and good conversation about it. You can download the show anytime for free, that one uh, or any other that we have ever done at bradblog.com. Thanks to those of you who choose to support this program through your donations. We will, of course, continue to track this story as it develops today and in the days ahead as we also try to stay up to date as possible with the various political disasters and machinations here at home in advance of a critical election uh, next year that will once again be a landmark moment for the American people as we decide whether we will continue in the direction of democracy or whether we will take a hard right turn with the American Republican Party towards autocracy and, yes, fascism. So a little bit of both today, along with Desi Doyen's latest Green News report. Yep. We start, however, with developments in Israel. On Monday, the leaders of France, Germany, Italy, the U.K., and the United States released a rare joint statement following their phone call regarding the weekend's unprecedented Hamas attacks against Israel, which have now resulted in a confirmed death toll of more than 1,000 in Israel, including what President Biden announced today to be 14 Americans killed in the weekend's bloodshed. And at least, I think it's up to eight or 900 now in, in Gaza. The uh, statement released by these uh, five nations on Monday reads, quote, Today, we, President Macron of France, Chancellor Schultz of Germany, Prime Minister Maloney of Italy, Prime Minister Sunak of the United Kingdom, and President Biden of the United States, express our steadfast and united support to the state of Israel and our unequivocal condemnation of Hamas and its appalling acts of terrorism. We make clear that the terrorist actions of Hamas have no justification, no legitimacy, and must be universally condemned. There is never any justification for terrorism, they say. In recent days, the world has watched in horror as Hamas terrorists massacred families in their homes, slaughtered over 200 young people enjoying a music festival, and kidnapped elderly women, children, and entire families who are now being held as hostages. Our countries will support Israel in its effort to defend itself and its people against such atrocities. We further emphasize that this is not a moment for any party hostile to Israel to exploit these attacks to seek advantage. All of us recognize the legitimate aspirations of the Palestinian people and support equal measures of justice and freedom for Israelis and Palestinians alike. But make no mistake... The nations say Hamas does not represent those aspirations and it offers nothing for the Palestinian people other than more terror and bloodshed. Over the coming days, we will remain united and coordinated together as allies and as common friends of Israel to ensure Israel is able to, to defend itself and to ultimately set the conditions for a peaceful and integrated Middle East region. That a joint statement on Monday from the leaders of France, Germany, Italy, the U.K., and the United States. On Tuesday afternoon, speaking from the White House, a visibly angry at times, President Biden reiterated a number of those sentiments decrying the weekend's, quote, 
atrocity on an appalling scale. He warned against adversaries both at home and abroad who might take advantage of the situation for political violence. He vowed to help secure the release of American hostages around the world, declared this a moment for the United States to come together, promised to uphold the, quote, laws of war, and reiterated that the U.S. stands with Israel and condemns, quote, the indiscriminate evil of the weekend's attack. You know, there are moments in this life, and I mean this literally, when the pure, unadulterated evil is unleashed on this world. The people of Israel lived through one such moment this weekend. The bloody hands of the terrorist organization Hamas, a group whose stated purpose for being is to kill Jews. This was an act of sheer evil. More than 1,000 civilians slaughtered, not just killed, slaughtered in Israel. Among them, at least 14 American citizens killed. Parents butchered, using their bodies to try to protect their children. Stomach-turning reports of being babies being killed. Entire families slain. Young people massacred while attending a musical festival to celebrate peace. To celebrate peace. Women raped, assaulted, paraded as trophies. Families hid their fear for hours and hours, desperately trying to keep their children quiet to avoid drawing attention. And thousands of wounded, alive but carrying with them the bullet holes and the shrapnel wounds and the memory of what they endured. You all know these traumas never go away. There's still so many families desperately waiting to hear the fate of their loved ones, not knowing if they're alive or dead or hostages. Infants in their mother's arms, grandparents in wheelchairs, Holocaust survivors abducted and held hostage. Hostages whom Hamas has now threatened to execute in violation of every code of human morality. It's abhorrent. The brutality of Hamas, these bloodthirstiness brings to mind the worst, the worst rampages of ISIS. This is terrorism. But sadly, for the Jewish people, it's not new. This attack has brought to the surface painful memories and the scars left by a millennia of anti-Semitism and genocide of the Jewish people. So in this moment, we must be crystal clear. We stand with Israel. We stand with Israel. And we will make sure Israel has what it needs to take care of its citizens, defend itself, and respond to this attack. There's no justification for terrorism. There's no excuse. Hamas does not stand for the Palestinian people's right to dignity and self-determination. Its stated purpose is the annihilation of the state of Israel and the murder of Jewish people. They use Palestinian civilians as human shields. Hamas offers nothing but terror and bloodshed with no regard to who pays the price. The loss of innocent life is heartbreaking. Like every nation in the world, 
Israel has the right to respond, indeed has a duty to respond to these vicious attacks. I just got off the phone with a third call with Prime Minister Netanyahu, and I told him, the United States experience what Israel is experiencing, our response would be swift, decisive, and overwhelming. We also discussed how democracies like Israel and the United States are stronger and more secure when we act according to the rule of law. Terrorists pur purposely target civilians, kill them. We uphold the laws of war, the law of war. It matters. There's a difference. Today, Americans across the country are praying for all those families that have been ripped apart. A lot of us know how it feels. It leaves a black hole in your chest when you lose family. Feeling like you're being sucked in. The anger, the pain, the sense of hopelessness. This is what they mean by a human tragedy. An atrocity on an appalling scale. We're going to continue to stand united supporting the people of Israel who are suffering unspeakable losses and opposing the hatred and violence of terrorism. My team has been in near constant communication with our Israeli partners and partners all across the region and the world from the moment this crisis began. We're surging additional military assistance, including ammunition and interceptors to replenish Iron Dome. We're going to make sure that Israel does not run out of these critical assets to defend its cities and its citizens. My administration has consulted closely with Congress throughout this crisis. And when Congress returns, we're going to ask them to take urgent action to fund the national security requirements of our critical partners. This is not about party or politics. This is about the security of our world the security of the United States of America. We now know that American citizens are among those being held by Hamas. I've directed my team to share intelligence and deploy additional experts from across the United States government to consult with and advise Israeli counterparts on hostage recovery, recovery efforts. Because as president, I have no higher priority than the safety of Americans being held hostage around the world. The United States has also enhanced our military force posture in the region to strengthen our deterrence. The Department of Defense has moved the USS Gerald R. Ford Carrier Strike Group to the Eastern Mediterranean and bolstered our fighter aircraft presence. And we stand ready to move in additional assets as needed. Let me say again to any country, any organization, anyone thinking of taking advantage of this situation, I have one word. Don't. Don't. Our hearts may be broken, but our resolve is clear. Yesterday, I also spoke with the leaders of France, Germany, Italy, and UK to discuss the latest developments with our European allies and coordinate our united response. This comes on top of days of steady engagement with partners across the region. We're also taking steps at home in cities across the United States of America 
police departments have stepped up, security around centers for, of Jewish life. And the Department of Homeland Security and the Federal Bureau of Investigation are working closely with state and local law enforcement and Jewish community partners to identify and disrupt any domestic threat that could emerge in connection with these horrific attacks. This is a moment for the United States to come together, to grieve with those who are mourning. Let's be real clear. There is no place for hate in America, not against Jews, not against Muslims, not against anybody. We reject, we reject, what we reject is terrorism. We condemn the indiscriminate evil, just as we've always done. That's what America stands for. You know, just over 50 years ago, I was thinking about it this morning, talking to the Secretary of State, the Vice President in my office. Over 50 years ago, as a young senator, I visited Israel for the first time as a newly elected senator. And I had a long, long trip a meeting with Golda Meir in her office just before the Yom Kippur War. And I guess she could see the consternation on my face as she described what was being faced, they were facing. We walked outside in that, uh, that sort of hallway outside her office to have some photos. She looked at me all of a sudden and said, would you like to have a photograph? And so I got up and followed her out. We were standing there silent, looking at the press. She could tell, I guess, I was concerned. She leaned over and whispered to me. She said, don't worry, Senator Biden. We have a secret weapon here in Israel. My word is what she said. We have no place else to go. We have no place else to go. For 75 years, Israel has stood as the only guarantor security of Jewish people around the world so that the atrocities of the past could never happen again. And let there be no doubt the United States has Israel's back. We will make sure the Jewish and democratic state of Israel can defend itself today, tomorrow, as we always have. It's as simple as that. These atrocities have been sickening. We're with Israel. Let's make no mistake. Thank you. Mr. President, what was your reaction? That was President Biden on Tuesday offering remarks to the White House. He uh, took no questions from the media. What AP is now describing as the latest Israel-Palestinian war reverberated around the world on Tuesday as foreign governments tried to determine how many of their citizens were dead, were missing, or in need of medical help or flights home. Numerous countries, in addition to the U.S., also offered to play a role in mediating an end to the fighting, which already has killed at least 1,800 people, including more than 1,000 in Israel and more than 800 in Gaza. The death toll was expected to continue to grow as Israel continued to pummel the Gaza Strip with airstrikes, reducing buildings to rubble and sending Palestinians scrambling to find safety in U.N. shelters in the tiny sealed-off territory, which is now suffering severe retaliation for the deadly weekend attack by Hamas militants. 
Humanitarian organizations pleaded for the creation of corridors to get aid into Gaza, warning that hospitals were overwhelmed with wounded and running out of supplies. Israel has stopped entry of food, fuel, and medicines into Gaza, and the sole remaining access from Egypt has been shut down on, as of Tuesday after airstrikes hit near the border crossing. The weekend attack that Hamas said was retribution for worsening Palestinian suffering under Israeli occupation has fired Israeli's determination to crush the group's hold entirely in Gaza, hiking risks of an expanded regional conflict. After days of fighting, Israel's military said Tuesday morning that it had regained effective control over areas uh, that Hamas had attacked in its south and of the Gaza border. A looming question is whether Israel will launch a ground assault into Gaza. That is expected. It is home to 2.3 million people and has been governed by Hamas since 2007. On Tuesday, a large part of Gaza City's Ramal neighborhood was reduced to rubble after warplanes bombarded it for hours the night before. Palestinian civil defense forces pulled Abdullah Muzla out of his basement, together with 30 others after their apartment building was flattened. The 46-year-old said, weeping, quote, I sell toys, not missiles. In a new tactic, Israel is warning civilians to evacuate neighborhood after neighborhood and then inflicting devastation in what could be a prelude to a ground offensive, says AP. Quote, there is no place safe in Gaza right now, said Hassan Jabbar, a Gaza journalist, after three Palestinian journalists were killed in the Ramal bombardment. Quote, I am genuinely afraid for my life, he said. Tuesday afternoon, Hamas fired barrages of rockets toward the southern Israeli city of Eshkelon and Tel Aviv. There were no immediate reports of casualties. Four previous rounds of Israel-Hamas fighting between 2008 and 2021 all ended inconclusively with Hamas emerging battered but still in control. This time, Israel's government is under intense pressure from the public to topple Hamas, a goal considered unachievable in the past because it would require a reoccupation of the Gaza Strip, at least temporarily. As AP reports today, desperation has grown among Palestinians, many of whom see nothing to lose under unending Israeli control and increasing settlements in the West Bank, the blockade in Gaza, and what they see as the world's apathy. Brief exchanges of fire across Israel's northern border have taken place nearly daily with rockets from Hezbollah forces in southern Lebanon firing into uh, Israel, followed by Israeli artillery response. But so far, uh, those cross-border exchanges have not escalated. That's good. Hamas has threatened to kill, however, one Israeli civilian captive anytime Israel targets civilians in their homes in Gaza, quote, without prior warning, which arguably Israel has been giving, or at least they say. The militants' attack stunned Israel over the weekend with a death toll unseen since the 1973 war with Egypt and Syria, which you heard the president reference in his remarks. Those deaths, however, happened over a longer period of time back in 1973. 
As we noted yesterday, the death toll over the weekend in Israel, uh, which is now at more than 1,000, is in proportion to Israel's population, essentially the equivalent of 10 9-11s happening uh, on the same day in the tiny Mideastern nation, in case that helps make their response to these attacks any more understandable. Israel has said that Hamas and other militant groups in Gaza are holding more than 150 soldiers and civilians snatched from inside of Israel after the attack caught its vaunted military and intelligence apparatus completely off guard. The bodies of roughly 1,500 Hamas militants, meanwhile, were reportedly found dead on Israeli territory, according to the military late yesterday, though it was not clear whether those numbers overlapped with deaths previously reported by Palestinian authorities. Thousands of Israelis were evacuated over the past several days from more than a dozen towns near Gaza as tanks and drones were deployed to guard breaches in the Gaza border fence against new incursions, proving yet again that border walls don't actually work, do they? In Gaza, meanwhile, more than 200,000 people have now fled their homes, according to the UN. That's the most since a 2014 air and ground offensive by Israel uprooted some 400,000 people. The vast majority are now sheltering in schools that are run by the U.N. Agency for Palestinian Refugees. Damage to three water and sanitation sites have cut off services to some 400,000 people, according to the U.N. The U.N.'s World Health Organization said that supplies that it had prepositioned for seven hospitals in Gaza have already run out amid the flood of wounded. The head of the medical aid group Doctors Without Borders said surgical equipment, antibiotics, fuel, and other supplies were also running out at two hospitals that that group runs in Gaza. So that's just about where we are at this point uh, as we go to air. I, I, I don't know. Uh, maybe it's a blessing in disguise that the U.S. Congress is largely unable to act at all right now, given that there is no Speaker of the House after Republicans move to unseat their own speaker, Kevin McCarthy, last just last week. And the party does not seem to have a clear path, even today, towards uh, selecting a replacement for McCarthy at this point. And therefore, until they do, really nothing can move forward in the U.S. House. No legislation, no committee hearings, nothing, as I understand it. Which, given the way Congress overreacted, and made horrible decisions following our own 9-11, well, maybe a cooling-off period at this point as Republicans fight amongst themselves over which speaker they should select to continue breaking America. Uh, I don't know. Maybe that might not end up being such a horrible idea. I say that sort of mostly in jest, though not entirely. All right, let's take a quick break here, and we will come back with some non-Middle Eastern political news regarding next year's elections on several different fronts. I'm Brad Friedman, and you are listening to The Bradcast.
Hey, this is Brad. My thanks to those of you who stopped by bradblog.com slash donate to help Desi Doyen and I stay on your public airwaves. You're the only one that keeps us here. Thank you. Wisconsin, 2,000 miles to go, Madison, Milwaukee, sets my heart ain't low, I'm a-coming to that state and my heart's beating fast, and I'll jerk my banjo gently, twiddle my mustache on Wisconsin, yeah, on Wisconsin, welcome back the Bradcast, Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. Trying to uh, maybe lighten things up a little bit here today for a few <laughs> yeah. minutes. Uh, as Ernie Canning wrote this up today at bradblog.com, it is Game On Wisconsin. As you may know by now, a challenge was filed with the Wisconsin Supreme Court uh, back in August, a challenge to the state's wildly partisan gerrymandered state legislative maps that have kept Republicans uh, holding supermajorities or near supermajorities in both the uh, state Senate and Assembly for more than a decade now. With the uh, state voting earlier this year to seat Justice Janet Protasiewicz on the high court, justices with a liberal bent, finally outnumber the court's so-called conservatives in Wisconsin by a 4-3 to three majority, that for the first time in more than 15 years, leading to the voter petition with the court just after Protasiewicz was seated to once again challenge the state's GOP gerrymanders. A similar challenge was previously nixed by the state Supremes four to uh, four to three when right wingers held the majority about a year or so ago. Before the court had even decided whether or not they would hear this latest challenge, the state's far right assembly speaker, Robin Voss, threatened to impeach Protozewitz to prevent her from ruling on challenge on on the uh, challenge to the state's maps, which seek to have nothing more than fair maps drawn before the 2024 election and to have everyone in the Senate. And this is important. So it wouldn't just be everyone in the state assembly running for reelection next year. It would be everyone even in the state Senate would have to run for their seat again under these new fair maps, even if they wouldn't have otherwise been up for reelection in the Senate this year. So if this goes through, in the closely divided battleground state where voters have now elected a Democrat as governor for two terms in a row and most of the other statewide officials are also Democrats. Also, the state went for Joe Biden in uh, 2020. Well, with all of that, Republicans are kind of realizing their days in the legislative majorities that they've essentially rigged. Those days are likely numbered. Thus... Speaker Voss and his threat to impeach Protasiewicz if she refused to recuse herself from this case, from this challenge to the state legislative maps. And his claim was that she must recuse herself on the basis that, uh, for example, while running for her seat on the high court, she described the state's maps as, unquote, unfair and, quote, rigged, which, by the way, pretty much 
everyone in the world actually agrees with. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's you just look at it, you see the numbers, you see the proportions. It's obvious. You see that no matter how Democrats vote in the state, they can't get a majority in in both uh, both chambers of the state legislature. So that was thanks to the gerrymandering that's been in place since Scott Walker was governor and put it in place back in 2011. So there is that. And at the same time, another voter filed a case with the high court to prevent Voss from filing impeachment articles on the basis that the state constitution only allows impeachment in the cases of crimes or corruption and that there is neither of those things here. Well, okay, we've got a few updates on all of the above. On Friday, Justice Protasewicz in a 47-page document explained her decision and determined that she would not, in fact, recuse herself from the redistricting case. As Ernie Canning explains at the Brad blog uh, describing all of this today, uh, her decision finds that the controlling decisional authority in the matter reflects that the unfairly assailed justice would be violating her oath of office, in fact, if she did recuse. It should also be noted that the Wisconsin Judicial Commission also unanimously determined that there was no reason for her to recuse in this case. As to the actual cases filed at the court, a majority decided on Friday that they would not, in fact, hear the petition, arguing that an impeachment of Protozewicz would be unconstitutional. So there is still that matter, the, uh, the assembly, if they wish, Nothing is stopping them at the moment from moving forward with an impeachment, if they wish. And on Friday also, in a 4-3 to three decision, the same court decided that they would, in fact, hear the challenge to the state's legislative maps, with briefings now due on the questions that the court will be examining by next week, I think, the October 16th including what standards the court should apply in adopting a remedy to all of this if it finds that the existing maps are unconstitutional and, quote, the legislature and governor then fail to adopt maps that comply with the Wisconsin Constitution. So this could be huge for Wisconsin after years of authoritarian GOP control of both chambers of the state house, thus Ernie's game on declaration uh, for his article. Now, as to Assembly Speaker Voss's threat to impeach in the event that Protasewicz failed to recuse himself, uh, herself, well, it appears, uh, don't know for sure, but he may be blinking. As AP reported on Monday, Wisconsin's top state lawmaker, who had threatened to possibly impeach a newly elected liberal state Supreme Court justice if she didn't step down from a redistricting case, didn't mention that option on Monday in his first comments since the justice decided against recusal. Monday, in his first public statement since she declined to recuse, Voss did not mention impeachment as an option, nor did he return a text message asking if his comments meant that impeachment was now off the table. Hmm, I guess he's going to have to think about it for just a little while longer. Is he blinking? Is, I think he might be blinking. We'll see. Qu- uh, quote, uh, Voss, uh, Voss did say, uh, quote, Never once will you find me saying that if she didn't recuse, we're going to impeach. I never said that. What I did say 
is that is wrong if she doesn't. I'm just trying to intimidate her. I didn't say I would actually do it. Well, uh, she didn't recuse herself, and now Voss seems to be indicating that the U.S. Supreme Court will have the final word on all of this, though, as AP notes, it's unclear from Voss's statement if he intended to file a legal challenge over Wisconsin's recusal rules with the U.S. Supreme Court. Good luck with that. Or if he was talking about the larger redistricting case, which could, in fact, end up before the nation's highest court. And as Ernie uh, aptly concludes his brief Brad blog story on all of this today with links to the decisions and so forth, uh, he says, quote, stay tuned. Oh, we will. <laughs> uh, in other 2024 related news today out here in California, uh, and this, I guess, because Republicans are really no longer interested in winning statewide elections based on, you know, having more popular policy positions. Because of that, it seems that they are turning yet again to the idea of running someone famous, in fact, a famous sports celebrity, instead of, you know, someone with a popular position. This uh, scheme, by the way, does not always work for them either, even in what used to be considered red states. Am I right, Herschel Walker? Anyway, after uh, nearly two decades of statewide Republican candidates being rejected by California's left-leaning electorate, the L.A. Times reports today, former Dodger All-Star Steve Garvey hopes to drag the GOP back toward political relevance. Garvey announced on Tuesday he's running for the U.S. Senate seat that was held by the late Dianne Feinstein, a gambit by a political newcomer, banking on his baseball fame and affable demeanor to overcome the long odds Republicans face in this otherwise solidly Democratic-leaning state. At the very least, Garvey offers GOP voters a dash of celebrity excitement, which we you do know, know they, they love. love that. Yes, they do. <laughs> and, but, but you know what? I re I'm old enough to remember when... Uh, didn't Laura Ingram write a book uh, It's titled something like... Shut up and keep dribbling, as I recall, who was basically <laughs> attacking, you know, people in uh, sports, sports celebrities who have the temerity to have an opinion about politics. They used to say, oh, uh, you know, this celebrity or that celebrity, what do they know about politics? And then, of course, now that's all they uh, put up for uh, election are well. <laughs> celebrities, sports celebrities. I'm sorry. Are you uh, actually uh, expecting Republicans to be intellectually honest and not be hypocritical about stuff? They're also, by the way, the same people who made those claims about actors that don't know about this, they don't know about that. Even while they were worshiping at the altar of Ronald Reagan and they elected Gopher to the U.S. House. <laughs> Remember that from the love yeah. boat? Also, Fred uh, Fred Thompson was a former actor, and they elected him. Sonny Bono. Uh, Sonny Bono, right. Other than that, they're totally against the, this whole celebrity thing. They they're don't know anything about politics. celebrities and certain policies. Anyway, Garvey offers uh, the GOP a dash of celebrity excitement, and its candidacy may raise the stakes for the top-shelf Democratic candidates expected to run next year. Though he hasn't stepped on a baseball field as a player for more than three decades, the Times reports Garvey may possess enough star appeal to consolidate California's GOP vote and lure enough admiring baseball fans 
to wind up on the November ballot next year? If so, only one of the three formidable Democrats currently in the running may survive past the March primary and emerge as the heavy favorite in the face-off against Garvey. So just to be clear, as as we're going to be watching all of this next year, and we are going to because this is already shaping up to be the most expensive uh, uh, Senate, Senate, race. Senate race in the yeah. country, uh, perhaps ever. So uh, California now has a top two primary system, which means that everyone from all of the parties runs in the primary together next March. And then the top two vote getters from primary day, they go on to the general election, which means that, you know, two Democrats could face off against each other in the November general election. Unless... A Republican like Garvey can win enough votes to come in uh, in one of the two top slots in the primary, and then he would run against whoever the Democrats choose uh, in in November. The 74-year-old Garvey's announcement came days after Feinstein, a trailblazing Democrat who represented California in the Senate for more than three decades, was laid to rest in her hometown of San Francisco. Governor Gavin Newsom has appointed, meanwhile, longtime labor leader, abortion rights advocate and Democratic strategist LaFonza Butler to fill that vacancy for now. And while it is unknown if the 44-year-old Butler, the first black and openly LGBTQ senator in state history, it's unknown if she will run for the Senate seat in 2024 But in the meantime, three prominent California Democratic members of Congress, that would be Barbara Lee, Katie Porter and Adam Schiff, have all announced earlier this year that they intended to run for that seat following DiFi's announcement that she would not be seeking another term next year. Garvey, who lives in Palm Desert, has flirted with politics for decades but has never mounted a campaign for public office. He is arguably the most well-known Republican amount of statewide campaign since Olympian Caitlyn Jenner, who ran for governor during the unsuccessful effort to unseat Newsom in a 2021 recall, and uh, former Governor Arnold Schwarzenegger. Oh, yeah, we forgot to name him as well. <laughs> yep. The international movie star uh, who won office in 2003 in a gubernatorial recall and then was reelected in 2006. This and who is... wasn't actually that bad, after all. I mean, Schwarzenegger did sort of understand climate science eventually. Eventually. And then made some, ve- some very big major bills that he got through on climate change. All right. I didn't know you were such an Arnold fan, but uh, no. (laughs) Them's just the facts, man. He is a good guy, actually, uh, Republican or otherwise, uh, which means he could never be elected in uh, today's Republican Party, it seems to me. Of course not. In any event, uh, this is not the first time that uh, Garvey apparently has toyed with a Senate run. Back in 1981, he told Playboy magazine that he had been approached about running for the Senate because he could, quote, make this society a better place to live in for all of us, unquote, and that he may one day consider a bid for the White House. Oh, yay. Good luck. Good luck with that, Steve. And and finally, uh, before we get to the uh, to the Green News report here, uh, longtime environmental lawyer and anti-vaccine activist Robert F. Kennedy Jr. said on Monday he plans to run 
for president in 2024 as an independent and will drop his Democratic primary bid, adding a wrinkle to next year's presidential race, currently believed to be a likely rematch between President Joe Biden and former President Donald Trump. Well, considered to be a rematch by most people, some of us have a feeling that it could not actually break down that but that way, but we will see. Anyway, speaking Monday from Philadelphia's Independence Mall, where America's founding documents were adopted, Kennedy said there is a, quote, rising tide of discontent in the country and said he wants to make a, quote, new declaration of independence from corporations, the media, and the two major political parties. Kennedy is the son of the late Senator Robert F. Kennedy and the nephew of President John F. Kennedy. He has been running a primary bid as a Democrat, but he has better favorability ratings among Republicans than he does among Democrats. And why not? It is folks uh, like top Trump aide Steve Bannon thinking that it would hurt Joe Biden Uh, Steve Bannon, who has been pushing Bobby to run and helping him to raise money, though, despite his claims, uh, Bobby's claims that he hurts Trump more than Biden uh, as an independent, he's apparently stepping up anyway. So does uh, RFK actually hurt Trump more than Biden? That remains to be seen. It's unclear whether GOP support for him right now, as he is enjoying, would actually translate to a general election when Kennedy would also be running against Trump. In other words, these Trump fans who pretend that they're in favor of RFK Jr. right now, will they really be in favor of him in uh, November of 2024? We will see, or we will see whether Kennedy turns out to be a spoiler against Joe Biden, either Trump or Biden at this uh, at this rate. Kennedy said um, he thinks he's going to hurt Trump more than Biden. We'll see. He said, quote, the truth is they're both right. My intention is to spoil it for both of them. Mm, great. Four, four of Kennedy's eight surviving siblings put out a joint statement denouncing his candidate, saying that they were saddened by his announcement. Quote, the decision of our brother Bobby to run as a third party candidate against Joe Biden is dangerous to our country. They noted Bobby might share the same name as our father, but he does not share the same values, vision, or judgment. (laughs) Monday's announcement comes less than a week after the progressive activist Cornell West abandoned his Green Party bid for president in favor of an independent White House run himself. Meanwhile, the so-called centrist group No Labels is actively securing ballot access for a yet-to-be-named candidate. So it could be a lot of people running next year. Kennedy, Sounds like it. Uh, yeah, Kennedy has uh, spent weeks accusing the DNC of, quote, rigging the party's primary against him and threatening that he might need to consider alternatives. Now he apparently has. In campaign emails and videos, he blasted the DNC's decision not to host debates between Biden and other candidates, and he railed against the committee's plan to give uh, South Carolina rather than Iowa or New Hampshire the leadoff spot on the primary calendar this election cycle. If they jam me, 
I'm going to look at every option, he said back in September at a New Hampshire barbecue held by Republican former Senator Scott Brown. Okie dokie then. <laughs> uh, let's take a quick break. We'll come back with the uh, Green News Report and, uh, oh, uh, a hurricane that kind of spun up very quickly to yeah. major hurricane status. That and the Green News Report both ahead on the broadcast. I'm Brad Friedman. <laughs> You're listening to the Bradcast. We are 100% listener supported, thanks to listeners like you who drop by bradblog.com slash donate. Well, stop the world for some breaking news. <laughs> yeah. Although uh, nothing disastrous here. Looks like Congressman George Santos is facing an array of new criminal charges that accuse him of stealing donors' identities and credit cards. He's hit with 23 additional federal charges, including Ooh. identity theft. He had already been charged on 13 other counts. He's charged with uh, stealing the identities of donors, making Damn. unauthorized charges to their credit card. Ooh. In this new indictment, uh, these uh, alerts just coming into my iPhone. I haven't seen the details on them yet. I was actually uh, planning a related-ish uh, story, another story that I had been hoping to get to on Monday before uh, everything uh, went so horribly in Israel. I still hope to get to that before the week is out uh, regarding George Santos, but We'll see how the week goes. Yeah, no kidding. It's, uh, that's those, those are some pretty stunning charges. Some other uh, news real quick. Also spinning up quickly and uh, suddenly to a major storm on Tuesday before it made landfall. Uh, Hurricane Lydia. Hi, Mom. <laughs> out in the uh, Pacific, uh, that became a major Category 3 storm with winds of 125 miles per hour as it takes aim at Mexico's Pacific Coast resort of Puerto Vallarta. The uh, storm, as we go to air, is expected to make landfall uh, just south of there. This uh, just one day after Tropical Storm Max hit the same southern Pacific coast about a hundred, uh, well, several hundred miles away. In Acapulco. In, uh, yeah, it, it dissipated, but it did wash out part of a coastal highway in the southern state of Guerrero. Two hurricanes Hitting the same coast two days in a row? Has yeah. that ever happened before? Um, I'm not sure if it's never happened before, but I know it's damn rare. And I know that Lydia, uh, that it rapidly intensified, which is becoming far more frequent mm -hmm. because the oceans are so hot, which also probably is the reason why Max and Lydia also hit so close together, because there is so much heat in the ocean. The U.S. National Hurricane Center is uh, warning on Tuesday that the uh, now Category 3 storm uh, could bring flash flooding and storm surge, uh, which we will, of course, be keeping our eyes on in the days ahead. All right, let's get to it. Our latest Green News Report. What this will mean for our membership cannot be understated. Big victory for striking auto workers demanding a just transition to electric vehicles. 
Glacial outburst flood in India kills dozens, damages significant infrastructure, plus... Extreme weather has taken its toll on the olive crop. Yep, and climate change is now coming for your olive oil. Well, blow me down. All of those stories and more straight ahead. From Bradblog.com, I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyen. Stand by for six minutes of independent green news, politics, analysis, and snarky comment. And by the way, we had hot summers 150 years ago uh, when we didn't have the combustion engine. They don't want to talk honesty about science. Well, they do want to talk honesty about science, Steve Scalise. They just think comments like that disqualify you from becoming the next Speaker of the House. This is your Green News Report. Okay, Desi Doyen, gas prices were finally coming down in a big way out here in California. Now they may be spiking thanks to the trouble in the Middle East. Yes, indeed. Even though Israel does not produce any oil, global crude oil prices are spiking in the wake of the unprecedented weekend attack on Israel by Hamas over fears among oil traders that the conflict could escalate into a regional clash that draws in oil-producing nations in the Middle East. Mm -hmm. Crude oil prices were already Already trending higher after Saudi Arabia and Russia recently announced they would extend production cuts indefinitely. Higher oil prices are a major driver of inflation. In India, Himalayan glaciers are melting faster due to man-made global warming and forming new meltwater lakes that can collapse without warning. Last week in the state of Sikkim, torrential rains triggered a massive glacial lake outburst flood that killed more than 50 50, dozens still missing, thousands stranded. The outburst flood took out a hydroelectric dam, a sewage treatment plant, and more than a dozen bridges. Experts say these unpredictable flood events are increasing in frequency and severity due to climate change, with more than 200 glacial lakes on the dangerous list in the region. A new UNICEF report warns that millions of children are being displaced every year due to worsening extreme weather disasters and warns the numbers will rise in coming decades. The researchers found that between 2016 and 2021, storms, floods, fires and other extreme events led to more than 43 million displacements involving children. Flooding was the biggest trigger of displacement by far. UNICEF's reports project that displacement of children will triple over the next 30 years as climate impacts force increased migration out of the hardest hit areas. Well, until American children are displaced, you know, none of this actually matters, right? In Europe, after the hottest summer and hottest September in recorded history, October is also off to a record hot start with temperatures 10 to 20 degrees above normal, impacting a significant number of staple crops like olive oil. Extreme heat, storms, wildfire and drought have damaged a significant chunk of the world's olive oil harvest yet again this year. In Italy and Greece, massive floods inundated prime olive-producing regions, and in Spain, which produces half of the world's olive oil supply, drought reduced this year's harvest by 50 percent, driving prices to record highs. Olive oil is currently more valuable than crude oil, and any shortage increases the risk of fraud and counterfeits. <laughs> and yet Steve Scalise just doesn't want to talk honesty 
about science. Here in the U.S., the striking United Auto Workers Union has announced that big three automaker General Motors has agreed to a key demand. Workers at GM's battery factories will be covered under the automaker's national master contract with the union as the country transitions to electric vehicles. UAW leader Sean Fain called the breakthrough a victory for workers and a just transition to the post-fossil fuel economy. We've been told for months that this is impossible. We've been told the EV future must be a race to the bottom. And now we've called their bluff. What this will mean for our membership cannot be understated. And, you know, one of the people who said that this could not be done was Donald Trump when he claimed he was going to Michigan to save the unions because they weren't smart enough to ask for a better deal for electric cars. Surprise! The American Prospect reports that the UAW can take that selling point to the non-union workers at Tesla and EV factories across the South. Plus, a new report from Carnegie Mellon University finds that contrary to conventional wisdom, building electric vehicle powertrain and battery systems actually requires more labor hours in total, hmm. not less, what? than conventional internal combustion engines and transmissions. Go figure. Yep. For much more on all of these stories and the ones we couldn't get to today, check out our website at greennews.bradblog.com. Find, follow, and share us planet-wide on the Facebook mastodons and sites still known as twitter at green news report i'm brad friedman and i'm desi doyan and this has been your green news report we are the future let's get to work mm-hmm. let's get to work indeed by the way that good news for both the uh, auto workers and for electric vehicles but that quote that we played twice desi doyan from uaw president sean fain where he says what this will mean for our membership cannot be understated. <laughs> yeah, I know he meant overstated. I think he means overstated. Cannot yeah, be overstated. <laughs> all right. Anyway, we got to get out. My thanks to Desi, our producer. My thanks to all of you for spending a portion of your day or night with us. If you missed any portion of today's program, download it for free anytime at brandblog.com. Thanks to those of you kind enough to consider a donation at brandblog.com or brandblog.com slash donate to help us stay on your public airwaves. We couldn't do it without you. We are 100% listener supported. Drop me email if you like. I am bradcast at bradblog.com. On the Facebooks, Mastodons, and sites still known as Twitter, you'll find me at the Blog. We'll see you there. Until we see you here next time, I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world. We are the future.